Excited to be uh, finishing off our series, This Is How You Know. And uh, tonight's message is based on 1 John chapters 3 and 4. Those are the chapters that we're going to be looking at tonight. Well, there are a lot of people in this world who call themselves Christians. And there are often very good reasons to question whether they are in fact Christians. And I'm not here to question, uh, make a judgment about anybody's standing with God. That's between them and God. But we do need to acknowledge that there are people out there that are calling themselves Christians. I'm not sure if you're aware that Jacob Zoom has even been recognized as a pastor in a particular denomination. Uh, Vladimir Putin is a Christian. Of course, he's a member of the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, There's... uh, The President of the United States, Donald Trump, also a man who claims to be a Christian. Uh, Jesus told us a parable. He said, even in the church, it's going to be very difficult to tell who the real Christians are and who the people are that just look like they're Christians. That's the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the whole point of the parable is that Jesus just lets things develop. He lets them grow, the weed and the tears alongside one another, and that it's only going to be sorted out at the very end. The Ku Klux Klan is another radical example. This is a a self-professed Christian organization. And so we do need to take very seriously Jesus' words when he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, or, or who calls upon him or claims to be Christian is a Christian. But the one who does the will of my Father, that's who the real Christian is. It's about what we do, not what we say. Many will say, says Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Get away from me. So I'm not here to question people's salvation, but I am here to challenge you to question your own salvation. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're all going to be taking an eight-point test. If you get eight out of eight, you can be pretty sure you're the real deal. Anything less than five out of eight, and you need to uh, kind of spend some uh, God time. Because the Scripture says that we must examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. We must test ourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And like Paul writes here, I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. But be warned tonight. And so John writes, this is how we can know. Sometimes you may have doubts about your own salvation. You may wonder, gee, am I a Christian? Am I the real deal? Well, I want to share some things with you tonight to help you to to know that you are a genuine Christian and that you're on track. So here are my eight observations. This is the first one, and I'm going to take each of them from 1 John 3 and 4. The first thing is, that you have experienced the Father's love. You've experienced the Father's love. John writes, how great 
is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known. Can you say along with John, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us? If you can say that, then you, you obviously understand the gospel. Because the gospel is all about the lavish love of God. It's not a love that overlooks wrong. That's how the, the church sometimes gets it wrong. It's not a love that says everything's cool and you can stay the way they are. It's a love that is most clearly seen in God's response to sin. God's lavish love is primarily seen on the cross. Him punishing Jesus for our sins. That's the, the, the greatest revelation of God's love. This is what Paul says. He says, verse 8 of Romans 5, bottom line, God demonstrated his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. A true Christian is a person who gets that, who understands it, who has a deep inner knowledge of, of the, the love of God and, and who, can, who can share this conviction. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. Can you say that tonight? Is this a reality for you? You know the love of God in your life, the transforming love of God. And you have this conviction. It goes on to say, verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. Also in Romans, Paul describes the transformation in a person's life when they become a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and there's a conversation that goes on between the Holy Spirit and our spirit, our, our very self. And the Holy Spirit tells us we are God's children. We are loved and enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He is a person and he speaks to us. And he brings about a conviction in a person's soul that they are a child of God. A genuine Christian doesn't wander around. Does God love me? Am I a child of God? There's a conviction within brought about by the Holy Spirit. This is the first test. Do you understand the love of God that he has lavished upon us? Do you have this conviction that you are a child of God? Let's move on to point two. 1 John 3 verse 2b. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here's the second point. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here in verse 3, John makes a categorical statement. He says everybody who has this hope in him purifies themselves just as he 
is pure. So the text, second test is this. A true Christian is someone who wants to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. There's the verse again. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why are we going to be like Jesus when he comes again? Is it going to be some magical transformation that happens in our lives? Yes, a little, a little bit of that. Not magic, but some, some amazing instantaneous transformation. But by and large, we're going to be like him because in this life, he's going to be transforming us shaping our character, making us like Jesus. This is what a true Christian is like, on a mission to be like Jesus. As Christians, we call this process sanctification. And if you've become a Christian, supposedly, but nothing's really changed in your life, you need to question what's happened. Because Christians are those that love purity, that love righteousness, that love godliness. It's not natural to love these things. But when the Holy Spirit transforms us, when we, when we are, are born again, then we find that we want to be like Jesus. We want to be pure. We want to be upright and, and godly. And if those desires aren't our motivation, we must question our salvation. Because a Christian is someone who has this hope in them that they're going to be like Jesus. And we're on this journey being conformed to his, his image and likeness. Deep within the heart and psyche of every true Christian must be the desire to be like Jesus. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Let's read on. 1 John 3, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now it gets quite hectic. 1 John 3 verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Don't be confused on this issue. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Do you see how John talks about what a Christian is? A true Christian is someone whose life's been transformed. No, but, and it, he's not saying if you're a Christian, you're never going to sin. 
but, but there's a desire to certainly not want to sin. And when we become aware of sin in our lives, we, we want to grieve over it and, and confess it and, and stop it. Here's the third test of a true Christian. You don't like sin. You don't like sin if you're a true Christian. It's, it's foreign to you. It's, it's something that doesn't belong in your life, and you know it. And John gives us a couple of reasons why a true Christian won't go on living a sinful life. Here's the first one. This would be 3A. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Basically, he's saying living a sinful life is incompatible with the gospel. If you really believe that Jesus suffered on the cross for your sins, why would you go on living in sin? If you also realize just how perfect and holy and righteous God is and what God thinks about sin, also, why would you go on sinning? The reason Jesus appeared, we're told, is to destroy the, the works of, of the evil one. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why would you be on the devil's side? If you're a Christian, being, when you're saved or being saved, you, you, you're trying to put to death the deeds of, of your flesh. No one who is born of God, verse 9, will continue to sin. Why? Because God's seed is in them. You have a new DNA. It's, it's contrary to the true new nature of a Christian to live in sin, to want to sin. It's, it's, it's contrary to you as a Christian. Jesus said it's, it, it's like a tree. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. If you're a good tree, the fruit's going to be good. What's on or going on on the inside shows itself on the outside. It's not a lesson in gardening. A tortoise gives birth to little tortoises. Everything reproduces after its own kind. A person who has God's seed in them, God's nature in them, becomes godly. It's just the natural outworking of that supernatural process. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Someone who is happy to carry on sinning actually doesn't understand the gospel. They haven't grasped God's will for their lives. They're not living under the lordship of Christ. They're showing that they don't have a new nature, that they're not being transformed into the, the likeness of Christ. Here's the, the fourth test. A genuine Christian is somebody that loves other people. John explains, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Okay, sounds pretty clear to me. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
John unpacks this more in chapter 4. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Loving other people, especially the people that don't love us, is the hallmark of being a true Christian. That's how you spot a Christian. They love other people. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. That's, that's how you can know you're a Christian. Because God stirs you and, and motivates you to love people. Even people that are unlovable. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Love even your enemies. Verse 44. And pray for those that persecute you. That you may be sons of your father. And then he asks this question that I think is such a good one. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, well, what are you doing more than others? Even pagans do that. Christians are those that, that love other people. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Do you feel the love of God for other people? Even those that don't love you. Here's the fifth test that you're a Christian. You will experience persecution. You will experience persecution. Hope you're praying for this man, Andrew, in Turkey. Somebody some of us have met. 1 John 3.13 says this, Don't be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. Anybody hating you at the moment? If so, don't be surprised. Hopefully it's not because you're a terrible person. Hopefully it's, it's because of your, your godliness. But Jesus says, don't be surprised if not everybody likes you. In fact, if some people hate you. Here he is in, in John's Gospel, chapter 15. If the world hates you, just keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. There is a trend today in some churches to be liked by the world, to adjust our message so that it is acceptable and even popular to a worldly audience. You can go to pastor's seminars where they will train you what not to talk about. You don't talk about sin, you talk about not fulfilling your potential. You don't talk about hell, you just talk about the other place. 
you don't teach what the Bible teaches about sexuality, about gender, about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way to God. As long as you don't mention those things, everybody's going to lie to you. As Christians, we're not here to fudge the truth, to water it down, or when we're asked difficult questions to say, well, I don't really know, or I'm still working that one through. That's not being a faithful witness. I wonder if you've experienced persecution for being a Christian. I know I have, for sticking with what Jesus teaches in the Bible, even when it's very offensive to people. But I take comfort, as can you, from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad in that day. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the signs that you're a true Christian, that you're a godly person, is not that you go around irritating other people, but that every now and again, people will be offended by the, the stance you take on certain issues. And it can't be helped. And Jesus says, when it happens, don't be all surprised by it. If you're truly living the Christian life, people are going to persecute you. Six-pointer that you're a true Christian. You care about the poor and about justice. You care about these things. Here we go. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with actions. Chapter 4, John writes, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Some theologies in previous eras have focused almost exclusively on the individual aspect of salvation. Yes, God does want to save us as individuals, but God also wants to transform society. The kingdom of God is not just about getting souls into heaven when we die. It's about the world being transformed, God's kingdom coming here on earth. I'm sure you all know the parable of the sheep and the goats. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want to point out just one thing about this parable. This parable does not teach that we are saved through doing good works. It teaches that those who are saved 
will do good works. Did you all get that very subtle difference? It's not that subtle. That's why there's almost confusion on the part of the righteous when God says, hey, well done, guys. Come into your kingdom and receive your reward. They're like, huh? What what did we do to deserve this? And then Jesus explains, well, when you helped the poor, when you visited people in prison, when when you saw a stranger and you helped them, you were doing it to me. And so the parable of the sheep and the goats teaches us that a righteous person will do righteous things. We will care about the poor. It won't just be about our own individual lives and relationship with God. We're almost home. We're on point seven already. A true Christian will have inner peace. Inner peace. Verse 19 of 1 John 3. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Do you have a heart that is at rest in God's presence? If you're a Christian, I I hope you do. I hope you don't have a heart that condemns you and you feel guilty. You're, You're unsure. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We have confidence. Chapter 4 talks about, in verse 17, we have confidence on the day of judgment. In other words, if you're a true Christian, you're not going to fear death. You're not going to fear having to stand before God and give an account of your life because you've already done that. And everything's sorted between you and God. A a true Christian, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. You can have have peace. You can know that you're right with God. You don't fear the future. You don't fear death. You don't fear judgment. You have a heart that is at peace. And finally, point eight. A true Christian is someone who has experienced the Holy Spirit at work in their life. I've got a very clear verse for this one. 1 John 3, 24. This is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. How do we know that we have a relationship with God, that we are a child of God? How do we know that? We know it because of the Holy Spirit who should be alive and well in your heart and in your life. John says the same thing in the next chapter. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. What does John have in mind here? What is John thinking? Why does he say twice, this is how we can know that we are true Christians because of our experience of the Spirit? He's pointing out that being a genuine Christian means having had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It means that your heart's changed, that this conversation is going on where God's Spirit tells our spirit we are a child of God, enables us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. 
guides us, directs us. We're led by the Spirit. This is, isn't academic stuff. There's, there's an experience of, of the Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. John says, this is how you can know you're a child of God. We know it by, by the Spirit that we have experienced. In apostolic times, receiving the Spirit was, was something you look back on and boom, that was a life-changing experience. I think for many of us today who've grown up in the Christian church, we've slowly become used to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our experience of the Spirit is as real, although it's been a more gradual growing into the things of God. But whether it was an impactful thing or a slow growth, if you're a Christian, you can still say, I know I'm born again because I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He guides me, He leads me, He directs me, He helps me. Can you say that? Have you examined yourself tonight to see whether you're the real deal? Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. What is the test? Have you experienced the, the lavish love of the Father? You understand the gospel that God, while we were sinners, He demonstrated His love for us. You get that. You grasp that. It's a reality for people. Have you experienced the the Father's love. You have an inner conviction brought about by the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God. You're not wishy-washy on that. You're, you're sure about that thing. Secondly, you want to be like Jesus. Sure, we stumble along the way. We don't always get it right, but there's, there's progress. The trajectory of our lives is certainly heading that way, and if it's not, oof. We, you don't like sin if you're a Christian. It's because you have a new nature. It's, it's foreign. It's, it's not who you are anymore. And so no one who is born of God will continue to, to live in sin. You find, fourthly, that you love other people. Not because of what you can get out of it, but because it's a God thing in your life. You'll experience persecution from time to time. Not because you're irritating, but because being a godly person, being salt and light, offends people. Just the way it is, says Jesus. Sixthly, you, you care about the poor. What good is it to say you love God, but there isn't a, a genuine response for the poor? You have inner peace, and you've had an experience of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand if you got all eight. Of course not. But these are pointers to help us to know whether we're in the faith or not. Let's pray. Let's have the worship team up as well. Lord, we thank you for John's letters that really shed light for us 
on what a true Christian is. We thank you that John writes with such clarity. This is what a true believer is. This is what a true believer isn't. And Lord, tonight we want to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Lord, if we are not right with you, if we are on the path to one day hearing you say, I never knew you. You did all sorts of churchy stuff. You called me Lord. But it was never, it was never the genuine thing. Lord, speak to us now. Bring conviction in our lives. And if you're not sure that you're a genuine Christian, pray with me right now in your heart. Lord, I don't want to play games. I want to be a genuine Christian. I believe in your lavish love, Lord. That while I was in a state of sin, you had pity on me. You showed me mercy. And Jesus was punished for my sins on the cross. I believe that. And I choose to repent of my sin, to orientate myself to becoming pure and to being like Jesus. I set my goal to be Christ-like. And I open up my heart and I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. That you would take control of my life. That you would direct me from this day forward. Transform me, Lord. Help me to love people. Help me to stand firm when I'm persecuted for my faith. And help me, Lord, to genuinely do the things that Christians do, like love the poor and care about others. Transform me and save me. Thank you, Lord.